Welcome to the Eastman Dental Podcast, where we hope to inspire, motivate, and provide education from our guests' experience. Today, we're going to be talking about dental education. So to my left, we have Sarah Ballian, who is the Program Director for the School of Dental Hygiene and Therapy. And to my right, we have Julia Bruin, who owns an independent dental hygiene practice, as well as being a part-time clinical tutor at the hospital. I think there is definitely more interest in education, but I think there is still a bit of apprehension to put their foot into the water as it were i i think don't don't see things as mistakes really see them as opportunities with your host josh hudson i think teaching is becoming more popular with many dentists in the early stages of their career and lots of those uh, aspiring to undertake teaching roles and we are extremely lucky to be joined by two members of the dental education team here at the eastman dental hospital So first of all, Julia, tell us, tell us briefly about yourself. How did you get to this position that you're at now? Okay, so I actually qualified at the Eastman um, and never really left. It's one of those funny things that during my training, I always said that I would um, always want to come back as a teacher. Uh, it was a thing that I always felt that was a um, wonderful combination to teach as well as um, practice uh, dental hygiene. And I thought, hey, why don't I see whether I can do teaching? So I actually stayed on and worked in the periodontal department and then progressed into teaching at the um, dental hygiene and therapy school. Okay. And Sarah, what's your backstory? Um, so I qualified from Barts in the London and um, in hygiene and therapy. And I stayed five years in general practice, um, but actually moving around between general practice and specialist practices, which gave me a wealth of experience. And I actually was, I was able to use my whole skill set as a clinician. Um, and I hit probably about year five and year six of doing exclusive clinical work. And so I felt something was missing. Um, and I wasn't probably getting fulfilled in practice as I wanted to be. Um, and an opportunity came up for one day teaching at King's um, and I took it with a big, huge fear of public speaking <laughs> with no teaching experience whatsoever. Um, and teaching was not in my, on my radar at all, but felt, you know, opportunities don't come often like that and I jumped on it and thought I'd push myself out of my comfort zone. From there on, um, I stayed there for 16 years. And um, yeah, so through time and more days teaching and more opportunities and more experiences that I had, I escalated in the sort of educational ladder as it were. And was that shared? Were you working in practice during those 16 years as well then? Yeah, I was. Um, so the balance completely shifted from doing one day teaching and four days clinical practice and then through time did two days teaching three days teaching four days teaching <laughs> um i held off for as long as i could um and moved then away from practice and then went into full-time education okay and i think most of the team here are part-time here part-time practice is that yeah, right cause yeah because actually i've obviously in my when we were just talking about my eastman stuff i 
didn't perhaps um, share with you that I set up my own practice um, 14 years ago, which was quite a big thing to do 14 years ago. Yeah, if you'd imagine. said to me, you're going to do it, and 14 years on, you're going to have a thriving building practice, I'm delighted to say that it was the best thing that I ever did. And that's quite, quite unusual, would you say? Well, I'd been working in a private periodontal practice for 17 years and things were changing and I just thought hey why don't I try and do it and I did it and you know 14 years on I'm still there that's great and still teaching you and still given, teaching given that so uh, like I said right at the beginning it's a wonderful wonderful combination so do you think it's important that there's that mix between being in practice and teaching at the same time well I th- I think you know, the fact that I can say to somebody that yesterday I was using that exact instrument in exactly the same tooth that you're working on today, and perhaps, you know, that might be uh, a way that you want to use it. That's the way I used it yesterday, but somebody else may say, actually, you might want to use it in a different way. So actually, I think, yes, in answer to your question, I think it is a good combination and uh, gives the students certainly a bit of a feel for what's going on outside in the real world. So for people that are listening that might be considering being a clinical tutor, I want to know a bit more about what that could involve. What does it look like on a day-to-day basis teaching within a within a hospital environment? Um, so clinical tutor, um, it gives the implication that it is exclusively in the clinical environment, but it really goes far beyond that. On a day-to-day basis, one thing that a clinical supervisor has to accept is that what you may have planned for the day can dramatically change. Mm -hmm. Um, It involves massive problem-solving skills, um, and those change from day-to-day. But you are supervising students, you are supporting students, but not only that, is that you're supporting your colleagues around you the level of responsibility for a clinical supervisor is you know quite profound because when you're treating a patient in practice or you know the student is in the chair that patient is their world in that moment and when you're a clinical supervisor you can have multiple patients multiple students you know nursing team to support as well so that the students get the best experience so you've got multiple factors to consider Um, But it's not just the clinical role. In the background, there are a lot of operational aspects that go into education. There's the quality assurance process of education. There's a lot of policy and procedure to follow, a lot of paperwork to go through. Um, And that's something that's probably not visible unless you're in education. Yeah. Um, But I think the role of a clinical supervisor has really changed because it's not, like I said, about the clinical, it's about the growth of the team and the growth of that student on a personal level. Because a clinical supervisor, if you go in that role, as I personally see, is protecting the way of our future. It's protecting the profession um, and it's protecting the patients. And we hold that you know, quite in quite high regard. And we're developing our colleagues, let's be honest. I mean, that's the bottom line. We are creating the future of patient care in this country. Yeah. And ourselves, I think. I think for, from my experience, from my limited teaching experience, 
you have to be on the on the ball you have to know your stuff to, if you're going to try and impart that knowledge to somebody else so i think it's good for your own development to keep up to date with things if you're going to be in that well, environment uh, as well which comes back to that whole thing of a uh, great combination of work um situations i mean just sort of following on from what sarah was saying i i've worked here for many many years um and i can tell you that every single day is different um and it might you know when i say it quickly it doesn't sound so bad but when i say it slowly to say that i've been here coming up 32 years that is just very shocking <laughs> but actually when i say that 32 years of every single working day that i've come into this place it's been different there aren't very many people that probably can say that and i think That's that true. might instill fear in some but it offers so much growth for a person and you develop yeah. so many skills from that yeah and initially when you go through those early phases of your sort of education journey you come across a problem you weigh up that problem you probably go into a slight bit of panic and eventually you realize you you manage things far better far more efficiently you grow more confident in your decision making skills because sometimes those situations require a decision there and then and you know sometimes those students teach us something oh yeah absolutely <laughs> yeah. And they sometimes teach us our colleagues day. teach us some things <laughs> so you know that's what i mean about it being very different and i think that's a really very positive thing and that's what keeps you keeps you coming i guess well i think it's the lure certainly um of people who i think like sarah was saying there's a, there's a bit of a sort of shroud around dental education i think it's uh got a very very uh mixed view out there in the dental profession um but i think it's it's a great thing to be able to shape and develop um the youth of an, in our profession that's the bit i see is the most important because one of the most rewarding things i find is where this the journey starts from from someone is that we're investing personally and professionally not only into our profession but first and foremost into our students who are human beings and that is when you see that student go through that journey and go through their ups and downs because that is life um, and see them see the points of where that moment where the penny drops mm -hmm. or you know they get it that light bulb moment and that's happened to me several times on clinic where you see the look of relief upon their face and go it makes sense do you know I had and exactly that situation in Phantom Head yesterday. There we were learning. This is the first time these students have picked up something. They're about to use this sharp metal instrument on a plastic model that is simulating the subgingival environment. And there they are picking it up. And like Sarah says, that light bulb moment is a very special moment. And I'm lucky enough to say that I had several of those yesterday. And that is, that's a really wonderful thing. You can leave thinking you've made a difference. But I'm not suggesting that colleagues out there who are seeing patients of their own don't have light bulb moments with their patients. Um, I think we all do. But I think that seeing that ongoing and on a regular basis is incredibly special. And it's that variety as well. With the Certainly, because everybody's like old moments feel and, and look different and will be at different moments. So, um, yeah. Over that period of time, so both of you have been in education for 
quite a while, should we say? Um, <laughs> how, how has it changed? Do you think it's it's changing as it's going forward? Do you think it's staying the same? How, how do you think it's changed over that, that time period? Having a, a global oversight of a program in its infancy and the experience that I've had, um, it's something that I reflect on quite a lot on, on changes because a program when in any educational program can't stay the same is that yes we live in the moment we have to fulfill certain things and educational journeys and certain requirements but it's also looking and thinking ahead of what more you can offer what changes might occur in the future and that's something that probably in recent times I've reflected most on is you know where is it changing where does it need to change how can we change it and the clinical aspect, again, is obviously the, a massive component to a student's journey, but their personal growth is probably something we invest more in now than we ever did. If I look back on my learning experience, it was very, very heavily focused on clinical pathways, clinical delivery. But it, the, the, when I trained, there wasn't that reflective component. It wasn't about management and leadership, and that's really been brought forward and that's something that is very challenging to deliver because it, it requires personal investment from the student. To ask someone to reflect, to have really open conversations is, a, is an individual journey. And that's something that really has changed in recent years. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with what Sarah's just said. I, mean, I think the, the thing that I'm getting out of my profession is that it is finally we have reached that magical point where we are respected i i'm it makes me rather sad to think that when i first qualified a patients didn't really know what a hygienist was so i am talking over 30 years ago you know i qualified at a time when people did not necessarily value dental hygiene and dental therapy for that matter but I am really delighted to say that at this stage, we are now really well respected, part of a group. We are listened to. The fact that we've got the head of our training programme who isn't a dentist, I think is a wonderful thing. And there are many out there throughout the whole country who are running educational schools, who are well respected colleagues of mine who don't happen to be dentists. And that is a really lovely place to be. I mean, I totally agree with what Sarah was saying about what we're now training, what th that sort of individual person that we're training now is turning out to be. But I think we need to go back a little bit further and think actually how far have we come from being those people that were perhaps not able to set up a practice, not able to see a patient without our dentist colleagues even having a look at the patient first. And I think there's two words that I think we, at the moment, the staff team are really committed to um, omitting from the students' vocabulary. And that is just and only. Because we, through training, we've, you know, building on that personal growth, students come in from multiple different pathways. And sometimes when they have their conversations, they don't realize the power of some of the words that they use. And I'm just doing this. I'm just doing, I'm just a hygienist. I'm just a therapist. And that's, um, the conversation stops there because if we use those words, 
you've negated your position within the group. So one of the things moving sort of things moving forward is, you know, our remit as an educator is to get a student to a certain point. The point is to get the student to the dental register competently and safely. That's the first and foremost remit. What we see as well is our background remit is giving them that inner confidence to say, once you've got there, reflect on that journey and there are steps now to follow. You can have diversity in your career. There was a time there were limits to what we could do. There weren't you know, educational opportunities to further your career. MSCs weren't available, masters weren't available, PhDs. And now there's so much opportunity out there there's multiple masters and it doesn't have to be in dentistry. You can diversify yep. your, your skill mix. Yep. And now that those opportunities are there. So one thing we're, we're trying to build into the students is don't stop here. Have a break, you know, go through your cycle of clinical practice if that's your journey, but there are opportunities well, out there and you have growth. Well, I think that's why the staff, when, when, when we look at our team, I mean, I think it's a great privilege to work in a place like this. And when I say a place, I mean the entire hospital, but actually let's bring it down to our department and say that, you know, we've got somebody that's been accepted onto a PhD, who's a member of staff. We've got several people who've done masters. We've got some very able people who the students can look up to, to aspire to. And like Sarah says, as far as I can see, the sky's the limit. You can't do anything. In fact, one of our ex-students has just completed his um, dental degree at another training school, having done dental hygiene and therapy here already, and then went on to um, get the best foundation um, training uh, prize um, in the year. So, you know, really, we can do anything. I think a lot of that innovation and development is, is through the education side of things. Um, people like you and people we're, we're like trying. the team. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it, it's not easy. I, I think... Um, trying to change the mindset of the student um, and trying to get them to think differently about their development. And, and that also obviously has to start with the staff having different thought processes about things because nothing stays the same. And uh, we're deluding ourselves if we, if we think that we can stay the same. It's an exciting time, certainly. Through a very unscientific study, looking at my friends and colleagues that graduated with me, t to me at least, it seems like a lot more people are more interested in education now or, or teaching. Um, first of all, do, do you think that's the case? Do you think younger people are more interested? And for somebody who is interested about maybe branching out into dental education, how would they go about doing that? I think there is definitely more interest in education but I think there is still a bit of apprehension to put their foot into the water, as it were. I think the the desire is there and it's in the back of people's minds, but there is a fear of stepping into the unknown um, and also not knowing how to start moving in that pathway. So if there's you know bits of advice I would give to somebody, in my experience um, and through you know recruiting team members when you qualify or when you've qualified from dental school there has been a certain protection mechanism around you 
the biggest learning curve that I remember, and I, I've obviously had conversation with colleagues, is when you go solo, and don't forget, it's not mandated for hygienists or therapists to complete vocational training, so you, they will literally go solo. Um, and it's in those first two years of independent practice that you go through a massive learning curve because there's no one there to cushion on. It's always after that point, I would suggest starting to make your move because those first two years of making those independent clinical decisions and management decisions of, of where you're working offer you opportunities and experience. From there on, you know, if a post arises, is put your foot into the water and go for it. It's very difficult to put an advert out for an educator's role when the pool of educators actually isn't that wide. So usually um, job descriptions have asking for two years um, post-qualification experience. If you have teaching qualifications, obviously that's an absolutely massive um, bonus to, to the individual. That was the next thing I was going to ask about. There seems to be a huge amount of people undertaking education postgraduate certificates. Is that essential? Is that something that's needed, do you think, if you want to go into dental education? Most of the tutors who I've recruited through my years of experience in, in different organisations, the majority have not had teaching experience. Mm -hmm. They go through a cycle of mentoring. So usually we say within the first year is that they will go through, you know, clinical supervision, dabble in academic delivery, and obviously with support. But then that person needs to decide, think about where they want their career to go, where they want mm -hmm. to, to do their qualification. Yeah. Is it a, a clinical education certificate? Is it an academic one? And so it gives you the, the range of what the job offers and that you won't see necessarily from a job description yeah it's also very difficult to get a, a teaching qualification unless you've had some teaching opportunities yeah. so let's be honest so mm -hmm. that's also something to consider so is is to throw their hat into the ring whoever wishes to obviously jump that next step do you agree with that julia I, i'm i would be tempted to say to last a little bit longer in the outside world before coming into teaching. I think two years in my personal experience, I think is is not quite long enough. I, I would tend to go for that sort of three to five year period. Um, but I totally concur with Sarah. I think people should not be intimidated by coming into a department with no experience, um, with no formal teaching qualification. I think come in, be embraced, be mentored find out what is your uh preferred sort of um situation within the teaching environment i i think that there are so many things that we have to get involved in as sarah's touched on you know process content quality assurance all sorts of different things will make a colossal difference to the education of our students and so i think Come, come with an open mind is probably my biggest bit of advice. Yeah, because I think it is. There is a bit of the, sh the your phrase, the shroud earlier was was a good one, because it you will on the face of it you will only see what is on clinic and in a classroom, won't see necessarily what goes on directly in the background unless you go through that experience. Yeah, but we have over you know 
one of the other things that I would strongly suggest people do is reaching out to their own previous tutors or tutors of other schools. Um, you know, all those sort of email addresses and contacts are usually available on schools' websites and reach out and, and have a conversation because everybody's experience and journey is very different. So at least in that way, the person who's asking can get some bespoke advice, yeah, which is... You can really even just, you know, make an appointment and try and come in and see the department, come in and talk to people. You know, I mean, we can even... Now we have this virtual world. One can even um, just have a conversation with somebody, you know, um, in an indirect way, but you're still seeing them. <laughs> um, so I, I think... Uh, one of the things that uh, I hear a lot of people say who come into um, teaching, and it was definitely the case for me, is that they observed good teachers, or perhaps not so good teachers, and thought that they felt as though they might be able to do things slightly differently. So I think, um, you know, reflect on what happened during your training and think, Hey, did I, did I enjoy it? Did I not enjoy it? Did I feel as though I could do something a bit different? Um, I, I think it's uh, it's great. And show willing. So a little bit of experience, and then. Well, I think it's that open-mindedness. I think um, you know we've got to be open-minded when we see our patients, because um, <laughs> you just never know who's <laughs> going to be walking through the door, and uh, we never really know what our working day is going to be like when it comes to teaching and um, our patients here in the hospital. And I think one phrase is "be brave." Be brave. Be brave. Um, and I be, mean brave in a positive way because. I mean, as I said before, I couldn't, I, I just remember my French oral exam for GCSE was probably the last time I'd done really any public <laughs> speaking. And I still have anxiety about, <laughs> about it. But then I knew that was one of my biggest fears. And then I went into the job and the first thing I did was this presentation. And now it's fine if it's, you know, one person or if the room's filled with 500 people, I'm fine doing it. So it's actually accepting that there are massive growth opportunities. Our job, when we go into a job, our job, we want to do our jobs well, but we sometimes neglect ourselves. And actually this job and our professional clinical jobs offer us absolutely massive personal growth. That is transferable elsewhere. And so I just think it's, you know, be brave, be open-minded and you know, the path is very much open to many opportunities. And I, I, I think don't, don't see things as mistakes. Really see them as opportunities, as learning experiences. You know, I, I think if you got a bunch of dentists and a bunch of hygienists and therapists and all sorts and dental nurses and the whole team around the table, they would all say that whilst they've had some crushingly bad uh, experiences either in their training or seeing patients all of them would say that those events have shaped them and have developed them as either individuals like Sarah says or as clinicians and I think we need to embrace those moments and, and not be terrified and frightened of them. I think that's really good advice. Um, on a more uh, practi practical slant wh where are these jobs advertised? So Sarah you uh, advertise for people to join the team and 
elsewhere people advertise to join their teams? Where would people start if they wanted to look for these applications? Um, so my experiences are is most dental education providers can go through two routes. One is they can go on NHS jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, and two, they usually they can go via university websites. Um, the other, I hate to say it, but social media is a fabulous place <laughs> because most organizations, whether it's NHS jobs or the university directly with the university, schools will post in these forums to say a post has become available to widen that net. So um, those would be my, my top three. Mm-hmm. The other one is is actually to contact the school that you yeah, are most say. interested or is most mm. feasible for you to join. Yeah, I would say one thing though is that because of the way we're working now and a lot of education has moved online, is don't think that distance might will limit you for sure. Is that you know we have some members of staff and I know colleagues of mine in other organisations, they're the post that they're in is based you know in central london but they actually live in wales and what have you yeah so there is now a lot more flexibility so there's time where we're on site and there's time when we're teaching online and online could be done from across the world so you know there is an opportunity there so i wouldn't necessarily limit it to your geographic location touch base with a school or multiple schools they're very good at usually saying when jobs predict when jobs can might come out or keep you on reserve to let you know when jobs do come out yeah i think keeping um in contact with your preferred um educational provider you know that you have a vision for going to and and like sarah says now in the virtual world you don't have to be either in the same country um or the same borough in london so i think um the bit that I would say is make contact directly. I mean, clearly there are opportunities of getting jobs in the usual forums, you know, NHS jobs and what have you. But I think um, just sending um, some contact out to that school to say, hi, I'm thinking about it. Can anybody chat to me? Um, I think is a, is a really good place to start. Don't forget, the opportunity is for us as well. (laughs) Because if we've had contact with an individual, you know, and obviously applications are anonymous, but it also gives us an indicator of what the appetite is and what questions are asking. So that will also drive a bit of a change for us in the background. Mm. So, you know, contact really works both ways. We very much, and we we have done, um, and will continue to do so, but make, you know, touch base with people who've got an interest. Perfect, thank you. Um, And we're asking all of our guests the same final questions. So first of all, if you could both describe the three things that you enjoy most about your job. Who's going first? (laughs) Well, we could always take it in turns, can't we? We can take it in turns. Um, The bit I most enjoy about my job is watching the growth of the staff and the student, first and foremost. Julia? Okay, so I, mine's very similar. My, my my big one is having those light bulb moments with people that you are in a room with who just magically get that moment um, of working out how to put an instrument to a tooth or anything else for that matter. Um, most enjoy about my job is uh, creating opportunities because of the sort of the impression that actually... Um, 
you know, we have to achieve a, only one certain goal. Um, but if I see that there is a project, a contact, a network, an opportunity for a person to diversify or demonstrate their skill set or, you know, be accoladed in some way, whether that's a staff member or a student, I will take that opportunity and I love trying to find those opportunities for everybody. Although I probably don't take them all myself, unfortunately, <laughs> and I offer them out to everyone. <laughs> uh, and I think just working with the most amazing team of people. I, I think we are extremely lucky uh, uh, in this dental hospital. I have seen it go through colossal change with a, a change of leadership, with a change of site, with different consultants coming and going, different staff coming and going, different students. And I, I can honestly tell you that every single colleague has shaped me in my professional career. I totally agree. I think another thing for people considering it in practice, it can be a lonely place. And I think certainly from, for me, when I spend my time in the education department here, going from clinic where it might just be me and the nurse, it's great to have that interaction with other colleagues so i totally agree with you julia about the team aspect i think my final one and i, I could give you a list of them actually but <laughs> i'm going to put this one here because actually i was working with a colleague on a pr um, presentation the other day and they highlighted it to me and i thought reflecting on all of that i thought god they're absolutely right was the creativity opportunity we have to be creative and sometimes we forget we we were talking about this earlier, is that we go into our normal phase of doing things and ticking boxes, but there is a massive opportunity for creativity. And the creativity, because you have to think about how you're going to deliver a piece of information. So rather than just putting it on a PowerPoint or do as I do or do as I say, is that we have an opportunity to have be creative, but that's actually something more personal. And someone said to me, and they were absolutely right, is that it's actually really therapeutic. And that's what I, I enjoy, is the, the, it's work. And I have to create a presentation and think about how I'm going to deliver it. But I get, and I find it actually, don't find d developing content stressful. I love the creativity that goes behind it. And they were absolutely right, it is therapeutic. And it's actually really restful. <laughs> <laughs> Surprisingly. <laughs> So I think the creative bit, I think it's an interesting bit because that really means that everything's very different. And when I think about my final third thing that is um, what I love about my job the most is the differences. The differences between my students, the differences between my patients, the difference between my colleagues, the difference to my mindset, I might have a different mindset that day. I may be more open to things. I may be more closed to things. I may just have a very different view on my profession. I may have read something. I may have listened to a podcast. I may have been inspired. I may have been crushed. I may have had all sorts of different things, but that's the key word, it's different. So actually nothing ever stays the same. And finally, having got to the point that you're both at now if you were to go back in time what one piece of advice would you give to your younger selves mm. <laughs> um 
I, if I could go talk to myself again, I would turn around and say, recognize your achievements. I think on the journey that we do, because we've got, we are responsible for the supporting staff members and supporting students. And that is, if you take it personally, which we all do, is that it's an immense responsibility to hold you know, people's career paths, whether they're staff or students in your hands. And being on that journey of my own development is that I probably didn't recognize what I had achieved when I had achieved them. And we're not given that, well, not given, but we probably don't take the time out personally to say, wow, I did, actually, I've learned a lot. I've done a lot. I've achieved a lot. There's lots to learn from it. I've made mistakes, but you know what? You're very right, Julia. Mistakes are okay. Yeah. Um, and as long as we reflect on those, you know, and we build on them and move forward, that's, that's the, the path. But I would say to myself, enjoy your wins and the self-recognition and really look at what you have learnt through the whole process. Yeah, I think we're all guilty of that. It's reaching a goal and then instantly moving on to the, the next, next one. one. Yeah. yeah, exactly. What about you, Julia? Well, I mean, I've touched on it a little bit earlier when I said that I think the mistakes are not really mistakes. They're life experiences. And I think you just need a little bit of time in between these events, as Sarah's just described. Um, give yourself a little bit of credit there. Um, but I suppose it's, uh, it's also about regret, isn't it? Do, do we regret the things that we do or the things that we don't do? And I think that uh, some of the things that I've done in my life, I think, wow, I can sit back and think I would have regretted not doing that. So I'm, I'm going to say um, don't regret in whichever way you want to take it. Perfect. Thank you both so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Having worked with you both, it's been really interesting to hear about your own journeys and I'm sure the listeners have found it very useful too. Thank, Thank you. you very much. Thank you. Thank you. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode. We would love to hear your suggestions for future guests. Remember to follow us on social media using hashtag the Eastman Dental Podcast. And if you like what you hear, please like, share, subscribe and listen out for future episodes.